0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 77, 7500 BC. Welcome back to the Prehistory Shows. At the end of the last episode, we reached the year 7600 BC. We learned of many things. Uh, For example, the Hovick House, uh, the earliest evidence of Stone Age dwelling in Northumberland of England. This script is written by Shane Sowersby. Thank you, Shane. And it's read by me, Dan Horning, the fan of history. Today... We shall focus on the second half of the 8th millennium BC. And the first thing we are going to talk about is Hüyük, seven 7500 to 5700 BC. Hüyük was a very large Neolithic and Chalcolithic settlement in southern Anatolia, dating from approximately 7500 BC. It was perhaps the largest and most sophisticated Neolithic site yet uncovered. It is considered to be a major turning point in the development of civilization from nomadic life towards permanent communities that eventually developed farming. It also contains the finest examples of Neolithic art and religious symbolism. Discovered in 1958, the site was brought to worldwide attention by British archaeologist James Millard between 1961 and 1965. Excavations revealed this section of Anatolia as a center of advanced culture in the Neolithic period. It rapidly drew international attention due to the large size and dense occupation of the settlement, as well as the spectacular wall paintings and other art uncovered inside the houses. Due to involvement in the Durak Affair, Millart was banned from Turkey, and the site was left idle until the 12th of September in 1993, that is for 28 years, when Ian Hodder of the University of Cambridge undertook the most ambitious excavation project, according to fellow British archaeologist Colin Renfrew. This project is still being carried out today. The population of Katalhöyök was estimated to be between 5,000 and 8,000 inhabitants. Houses were so tightly packed together that the only access to the interior was through a hole in the roof reached by interior and exterior ladders. Similar to Aziklihöyök covered in the last episode, each main room served as an area for cooking and daily activities... Raised platforms were built along the walls for sitting, working and sleeping, and additional rooms were used as storage. Burials occurred in pits beneath hearths, platforms and beds within houses. Bodies were bent before being placed in baskets or wrapped in reed mats. Some graves suggest that bodies may have been exposed in the open air for a time before the bones were gathered and buried that would make it smellless, wouldn't it? This is a practice that would be horrifying today. Uh, imagine that grandmother is being exposed outside your house so she may rot and finish rotting. Uh, other graves were disturbed with the head of an individual removed from the rest of the body to be displayed, probably, in ritual, plastered and painted with ochre to recreate human-like faces, a practice similar to what we have found in jericho interior and exterior surfaces of houses were covered with vivid murals and figurines these include groups of men in hunting scenes red images of aurochs and stags vultures sweeping down on headless people and quite possibly the world's oldest map Distinctive clay figurines of women have been found in the upper levels of the site, suggesting that these people had a religion that was rich in symbolism. In terms of lifestyle, these people lived egalitarian lives with little social distinction. Between male and female, wheat, barley, lentils, peas, bitter wetch, and other legumes were cultivated. Sheep, goats, and the beginning of cattle were domesticated. Although hunting continued to be a major source of meat. Pottery and obsidian were major industries for the settlement with obsidian tools traded for items such as Mediterranean seashells and flint from Syria. This settlement would last until approximately 5700 BC. And then we jump all over the world to China and Let's talk about the Pengtushan culture, 7500 to 6100 BC. The Pengtushan culture was a Neolithic culture centered in the central Jiangxi River area of northwestern Hunan in China. Two settlements were discovered at Pengtushan itself and at the later site of Bashidang, the type site of Peng Tushan was excavated in 1988 in Li County in Hunan. Uh, in China, of course, by Hunan Provincial Institute of Archaeology and Cultural Relics. Grains, rice husks and cord marked pottery pieces were identified among the burial goods as the early stage of cultivated rice. This is it. It's the beginning of rice. This confirms that the Middle Yangtze region was one of the areas where grain was grown at an early stage. The second later settlement at Bashidang was situated at Wufu village in Lixian county in Hunan in China. Excavations between October and November 1995 by the same institute found a black silt layer at a depth of 4.5 meters, containing a large number of organic substances, over 100 kinds of identifiable plants, dozen varieties of animal bones, articles made of wood, bamboo and bone, and over 15,000 grains of rice, the largest find discovered at the Neolithic site. In China. The next place we're going to talk about is Birana. That uh, is relevant between 7500 and 2600 BC. That's 5000 years. Birana is a small village located in Fatehabad district, Haranya state in India. According to a report by the Archaeological Survey of India in December of 2014, it was the oldest Indus Valley civilization dating back to approximately 7500 BC, well before the date of Mergar, the previous candidate for the forerunner of the Indus Valley civilization. Excavations have revealed four separate cultural period. Period 1a, Hakra culture was characterized by structures of subterranean dwelling pits cut into the natural soil. Walls and floors of these pits were plastered in yellow alluvium obtained from the Sarasvati valley. Artifacts comprised a copper bangle, copper arrowhead, terracotta bangles, carnelian-slash-lepis-lazuli-slash-stetite beads, bone points, stone saddles, and querns. Pottery was very rich, with one example, Bikram ware, consisting of exterior paintings in black and white pigments. Period 1b, early Harappan culture, consisted of an open-air settlement with no fortifications. Houses were built of mud bricks of buff color. Artifacts included a shell seal of quarterfoil shape, arrowheads, bangles, copper rings, carnelian slash jasper slash lapis lazuli slash steatite slash shell slash terracotta, beads, pendants, bull figurines, rattles, wheels, gamesmen, Terracotta marbles, terracotta, and fine scents, bangles, bone objects, sling balls, and sandstone pounders. Period 2a, early, mature Harappan culture, was marked by a transformation in the city layout. It was encompassed within a fortification wall. Mudbrick structures were aligned with a slight deviation from true north. Pottery showed a mixture of early and mature Harappan forms. Artifacts included semi-precious stone beads, copper, shell, terracotta, faience bangles, fish hooks, chisels, copper arrowheads, terracotta figurines, and various miscellaneous artifacts. Period Two B, Mature Harappan culture, was the last period of occupation of the site, with all characteristic features of a well-developed Harappan city. A massive fortification mall made of mud bricks was built. Houses were made of mud bricks with wide linear roads separating them. A circular baked earth structure known as a tandoor was also found that is similar to the community kitchens found in rural India today. Artifacts consisted of steatite beads, copper terracotta feinsense, shell bangles, copper kelts, bone objects, terracotta spoked wheels, Terracotta animal figurines, lapis lazuli, cornelian agate fanciestheatite terracotta beads, and stone objects. The main find, though, was a replica of the famous dancing girl of Mohenjo Daro engraved on a potsherd in the form of a graffiti. This potsherd was discovered by the ASI between 2004 and 2005. Mr. Rao of the ASI called it I quote, the only one of its kind, because no parallel to the dancing girl in bronze or any other medium was known until the latest find. Mr. Rao also called the engraving, quote, a highly stylized figure whose torso resembles that of an hourglass, or two triangles meeting at their apex, end quote. Upon the horizontal shoulder line, a partly damaged round head was visible. Oblique strokes on the right upper arm are suggestive of the presence of armlets. The lower portion of the body is missing due to damage on the shard. Clothing is indicated by horizontal hatchings on the chest and abdomen with vertical hatchings on the thighs. These deities or dancing girls may represent water nymphs associated with water rites once widespread in the Indus Valley, and there will be more on the the Indus Valley Civilization in episodes to come. The next place we're going to talk about is Kayönu. That is 7200-6600 BC. Kayönu is a Neolithic settlement situated in Diyarbakir in southeastern Turkey, dated to between 7200-6600 BC. The first excavation was carried out between 1964 and 1978 by Robert John Braidwood, with the second excavation conducted between 1985 and 1991. The settlement covers the pre-Pottery Neolithic A, pre-Pottery Neolithic B, and Pottery Neolithic periods. It consists of a 200-meter diameter mound containing several occupation levels of over 600 years of human activity. Houses were built of adjoining mud brick walls with entrances through the roof. Sheep and goats were domesticated and in later years this became possibly the earliest place where the pig was first domesticated. However, like at other sites in Turkey, hunting continued to be practiced with aurochs and red deer on the menu. Additionally, regular cultivation of cereal also started near Kayönu, in which, according to the Max Planck Institute for Plant Breeding Research in Cologne, the wild ancestor of 68 contemporary types of cereal can still be found in the close vicinity of the site. Grapes, figs, ryegrass, emmer and einkorn wheat were cultivated during the period of occupation. This was also the site where the earliest known piece of cloth has been found. This piece of textile was a line fabric 9,000 years old that had been woven from locally grown flax. As well as this, the site is believed to have been the main bead producing center during the early Neolithic. And archaeologists have discovered four copper items dated to 7,200 BC, including the earliest known hammered copper objects. The next place on our list is Ain Ghazal, 7200 to 5000 BC. Ain Ghazal is a Neolithic site located in northwestern Jordan on the outskirts of the capital Amman. It started as a small hamlet with maybe 200 inhabitants during the middle of the pre pottery Neolithic B period. It continued to expand and grow richer until it reached a size of 40 acres by 6200 BC. That was four to five times the size of contemporary Jericho, situated only 30 miles away. Therefore, this place, Ain Ghazal, ranks as one of the largest prehistoric settlements in the Neolithic Near East. Houses were built of undressed fieldstones. ...that were coated with mud plaster before being finished with lime plaster. Floors were made of a fine layer of lime plaster applied over lime and gravel base. Both walls and floors were painted over with red pigment. These people buried some of their dead beneath the floors of their houses. Other they buried outside in the surrounding terrain. Of those people buried inside... The head was retrieved and buried in a separate shallow pit beneath the house floor. In other cases, skulls received special treatment by being modeled with lime plaster to form death masks, which Kathleen Kenyon described as portrait skulls. As mentioned previously, similar finds have been found at Catalhoyuk and Jericho. Ain Gazal is renowned for a set of anthropomorphic statues found buried in pits in the vicinity of special buildings that may have had ritual functions, some sort of temples. More than 200 figurines, two and a half inches in length, made of clay and plaster, represented toys made for pre-pottery Neolithic children. Other figurines represented wild cattle with depressions behind the head formed by a cord indicating that calves were captured, halted, and reared until they could be ritually slaughtered. Some cattle figures have slash marks impressed in the clay before they were fired, and that suggests some kind of ritual magic. Two examples were buried underneath a house floor. More than 30 figurines recovered had peculiar features. None of them had both head and body. These were probably related to the burials mentioned earlier with the head regarded as a location of power. By severing the head, power was released to a successor so that the next generation could exercise that power for the household. The most dramatic finds were two group of plaster statues that had been displayed around the world. More than 30 anthropomorphic figures were discovered in two batches. Between 1983 and 1985, the first group dates to approximately 6,700 BC, with the other group being 200 years later. Figures are made of soft, yellow-white calcium carbonate that is plastered over a core of reeds and twine. Traces of pink paint are visible in the faces. Black bitumen and green copper ore appear around the eyes. Earlier figures were replaced with more stylized forms that suggested they may represent ancients or perhaps the sculptor's ancestors. Similar statues have been found at Jericho and Nahal Hemar in Israel. People cultivated barley, ancient species of wheat, peas, beans, lentils, and chickpeas. Goats were domesticated, but like so many places in the early Neolithic, hunting was used to supplement their diet with deer, gazelles, equids, wild pigs, fox, and hare on the shopping list. After 6,500 BC, the population began to decrease sharply to one-sixth of the previous population due to environmental degradation. So we are now approaching 7,000 BC and the start of the 7th millennium BC. Join us next time. When agriculture spreads to the Balkans from Anatolia, the cow joins the sheep and goat in being domesticated and pottery spreads to Europe and South Asia. The first gold and copper ornaments are made. Well, thank you for following our journey through prehistory and thanks to Shane for writing this script. Please go to YouTube and subscribe to Fan of History. And uh, you can reach me on Fan of History on Facebook or on Twitter as Dan Horning. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.